0: Amen. Good morning, church. Thank you guys for being here with us. Everybody doing good? Summer's almost here. Excited about that. And uh, I hope that you guys have just a wonderful summer, um, both as a family, but also as a church family. Uh, We're just really excited about that. So the last several weeks we've been working through the book of Ephesians, excuse me, several months. In the last several weeks we've been working through specifically Ephesians chapter 4, really looking at what it means that if we are saved, if you truly have a relationship with Jesus, if he has brought you from death into life, this is your identity. And there's a lot that encompasses your identity. But one thing that is encompassed in a true identity that is found in Jesus, Jesus is practice, that there is this pursuit, this idea that we've been throwing around the last few weeks of this, uh, this kind of American Christianity, that Christianity can lie dormant inside of a person who is saved. That is not found in Scripture, that if you really have been adopted by Jesus, elected by Jesus, chosen by Jesus, saved by Jesus, redeemed by Jesus, whatever terminology that you want to place on that from the Scripture speaking, that there is this call and these attitudes that should be coming out of you in Christ's likeness. Uh, We started that off by talking about humility and patience and gentleness within the church body, within the church family, that this is where it presumes. It does not presume in focusing on your family. It starts in a relationship with Jesus, then secondly, the church. We're going to see as we go along here, we're going to get to search issues as the family, but we need to understand that from a scriptures perspective that the church is not plan B for God and Jesus, the church is plan A. And there's a lot of specifics in how in these attitudes in Christ-likeness that we should be exuding from something that has happened from the inside and therefore bearing fruit on an outward um, just expression of in every moment of our lives. So do you belong to the church? Are you a member of the church? Are you practicing these things within the church? Because God, for the sake of unity, which is found in Jesus, has also, as we learned last week, um, gone from the heavenly realm to the very earth itself— in order not just to save you and me and to save others, but also to guarantee spiritual abilities and spiritual gifts that are given to every single believer. If you are a Christian, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, you have a spiritual gift from God. So the question is not if we have a gift, the question is Are we using that gift? And so God is going to use all of these different abilities. Then for like Legos that are come in all different shapes and sizes are then put together to form something, to build something, as the Bible would say. The body of Christ is another example that we get into whenever we're looking outside of these things. Now, as I go here today, I'm going to ask that you would pray for me. I'm praying for you um, even now. Uh, you are heavily on my mind. I would ask that you would pray. This, this for some of you, today's sermon is going to be like, right on, preacher, I know what you're talking about. I get this. Uh, others of you are going to be like, oh no, he ain't talking about me. Um, or the third reaction is going to be, oh no, he's talking about so-and-so in this room. If you see anything other than I'm talking about Jesus and I'm talking about you specifically, then we're going to miss the point here. Okay. When we're talking about these practicalities of how our Christian lives play out, they are toward me. They are toward you. And we don't need to be afraid of that. We need to embrace that. Before I go into practical holiness and perfection, as we've been talking about over the last several weeks, don't forget this, the first three chapters. If you're in Jesus, guess what? You're positionally perfect with Jesus. All right? That's where your identity rests and lies is in your relationship with Jesus. You are positioning right now in the throne room of God as God looks upon his chosen children, he sees the perfected work of Jesus. Can I get an amen? amen. Thank you, church. All right. Wake up this morning. All right. So with that, there comes this understanding, though, that there is still out there in the future a glorified perfection all right that is out there in the future you did nothing with the positional affection uh perfection joint to jesus and yet you're not going to do anything for this glorified perfection you know that's way out there where we don't get arthritis and cancer and we get to be with jesus and it is a glorious time with the lord everybody ready for that one too amen, amen. i turned 40 here in a few weeks I'm at that stage where you can go to bed perfectly fine, wake up with a sprained ankle. And I don't understand that, but I'm there, okay? So that's a glorified perfection. The question is, what about the perfection, the pursuit of holiness, the maturity, the growth of the believer between the day you got saved and set your position in Jesus in perfection in Jesus and this glorified per- perfection in Jesus? What about all of this thing called life? That if you are a saved Christian, that Jesus is involved in every moment of that. And that it's playing out in Christ-like attitudes with us in our lives. So we see that Jesus goes to the cross not just to save you, but to guarantee these gifts. There's not to be played around with. God has presented, he's taken time to craft a specific gift for you. Some of you, maybe multiple gifts, but every one of you have it. The question is, are we using it, and what does that mean in regards to our maturity, our unity, our growth, and our Christ-likeness? All right, so let's keep going here today. Uh, Ephesians 4, chapter 11, as Eric read here today. So he says last week, he gives general gifts, or specific gifts to the people. He goes to the full Monty to, to get this accomplished. In 11, verse 11, he continues this idea, and he says this, "...and he gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers." Okay? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. These are, it's not an exhaustive list of spiritual gifts, We see inside the book of Romans chapter 12. We see inside the the book of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which we read earlier, a section from that. We can see here in Ephesians chapter 4, there is not one particular list of spiritual gifts inside of the Scripture that is exactly the same. I don't think that's the point of the New Testament writers, is to give you the specific, these are the only ones. The idea is to paint some sort of general picture. If you wanna look at spiritual gifts, they're predominantly in two different categories. There's the speaking gifts, okay? And then there is the second fold, non-speaking gifts, all right? I am using my spiritual gift as of right now as I am speaking to you the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is a speaking gifts. These uh, passages or these gifts that we just read about, apostles, prophets, uh, Evangelist, uh, preacher teacher those things guess what they all do they talk they use their mouth now that doesn't mean that you are excused to not be evangelistic and ever use your mouth that's not what the bible is saying here all right on the second way though is that there are lots of things that like the gifts of administration all right if you have those sorts of gifts, you have the gifts of administration, like you have list of lists, Stephanie Helton. You have list of lists, Jennifer Baker, li- Hazel, sorry. List of lists, right? You, you create, those are administration. Like you like fill in the blank, you like outlines, you like schedules. Your type or type A, Pastor Todd Crosby has those gifts. Man, he is, he is naturally bent that direction, okay? It doesn't take a mouth to be administrative, right so those are non speaking types of gifts so that's an easy way to break down all the gifts spiritual gifts is typically some of them are more mouth driven speaking oriented other ones are behind the scenes getting stuff done hands feet so on and so forth okay whenever we get to first corinthians we'll we'll dive into even some more of that as well so quickly who are these people apostles there is big a apostle Alright, those are the twelve apostles whom Jesus came face to face with Jesus and he said to them, go do this. Apostles broken down means sent ones. Now there's some debate here in this passage among scholars and pastors on whether or not there can be apostles in today's time. Okay? Here is where I'm landing, so don't send me dirty emails this week. Don't contact me after the church. Okay, we can have this dialogue. You may convince me, okay? Here I, where I am today is, is that, yes, there is no such thing as, in 2018, a big A apostle. If you're asking about that, and I want you to know, there's a group of people inside of America who believe they are the new apostleship, and they're crazy. I will give you their names after this, all right? So they're nuts. I don't believe in a big A apostles. However, if Jonathan Vanderpool and Hannah Vanderpool came to us and they were like, man, we want to go plant a church, we want to go back to India, we want to go somewhere, then we, as the church, it's not appointed by Jesus per se, but it's appointed, sent out ones from the church, I can handle that. Everybody catch the difference there? One heard it from Jesus, right? Knocks knocks Paul off the horse, right? You're my man. Go be sent. Right? The other ones are coming from the church. Prophets. Prophets are not all these weird, quirky people that show up on late-night television in the name of Jesus to tell you the future. Prophets simply means a messenger of God. Now, inside the Old Testament and inside the New Testament, we see capital P prophets, do we not? Moses was one of those guys. Elijah, Elisha, all right? John the Baptist was the last Old Testament big P prophet alright so if you're talking about that brothers and sisters this is before the scripture was canonization of the scripture so God used these mouthpiece God spoke directly through them out their mouth told them to write these sorts of things down those are big P prophets now if you want to say that there are big P prophets now then, then you have to have a discussion I would not say that that's in existence however small P prophets Someone speaking the scripture in the name of God, saying that this is the truth. Not coming up with stuff off the top of their head, like a lot of Christian bookstores will publish this junk. But stuff that is, is from the scripture, they're preaching the word, small p prophet, then I, I don't have a necessarily a problem with that. All right. Can everybody understand this? Apostles are the sent ones. Prophets are the messengers of God. The next thing that we see is the evangelist. Who's called to evangelize? Who are called to be evangelists? Every one of you in this room. However, we see inside of Scripture that there are these certain people that have been gifted in a powerful way that when they do it, no matter what kind of context it seems like, that man, they share the gospel and people are just quickened to the heart. To know jesus all right those people are annoying to me all right in the name of jesus with all good christian love right humble patient gentle i say that okay it's crazy because man i, I want people to get saved and i'm gonna be very honest it's never been a hallmark mark of my ministry It's not that I don't preach the gospel. It's not that I don't call people to repentance. It's not that I don't share the gospel to non-Christians to go to foreign missions. It's not that I've done any of those things, but I do not have this big, long laundry list that I can roll out like Billy Graham and say, man, thousands, millions of people came to know Jesus when I preached the gospel. However, brothers and sisters, there are people who do do that. Okay? Now, some people believe that evangelists are only people who take the word of the Lord, the gospel message of Jesus Christ to unreached people groups who have never heard that. Maybe, there may be some truth in that. Um, but I would say a lot of what we see inside of actual missional missions is a lot of this, it's evangelism, okay? But I want you to understand something. Evangelism is not door-to-door thing to the point where you knock on somebody's door, get them to say this prayer, and they'd be like, I'm out. Check. KBC's going to love that, all right? That's Kentucky Baptist Convention, in case you didn't know my words. All right. So that is not evangelism. Evangelism is not void of discipleship. Okay? But a lot of people want to kind of present themselves as, man, I'm evangelist. Look at all the people that's gotten saved. Look at all the people who's gotten baptized under my ministry. And then it's just kind of like, I'll leave the rest up to God. He's sovereign. Now. There's not a chasm between evangelism and discipleship. They go hand in hand. So you got apostle, you got prophet, you got evangelist. All right, now, this next grouping, there's two left, right? You've got, you've got where it says shepherds, it's also where we get the word pastor, and teachers. Now, let's do a little Greek lesson here. Inside the original language, guess what there is not? And, all right? It's, it's a hyphened understanding. All right? It's not that there's the role of shepherd, and then there's the role of teacher. They're hyphenated, they're slammed together in their Greek verbiage, they complement each other. It's shepherd-teacher, 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 shepherd-teacher. So, now, within the church, they may be people who are gifted to be teachers who aren't pastors. But there is no such thing as a shepherd inside of Scripture that is not a teacher. Get that? It is there. It is there. Okay, one of the major um, expressions or understandings or qualifications that we see inside of Timothy on who can be an elder is that they must be able to teach. Okay, now for some of us in my calling, I am the shepherd teacher, primary pastor teacher over this. I kind of set the tone. I work with the, uh, the other elders that we have. I do a majority of the preaching. I'll preach 36 times this year. I keep trying to decrease that every year in order to let young elders and people who are aspiring to do that. It's not that I don't want to preach 52, but I don't think that's good leadership, all right? I want these guys to grow in their craft. They're called to do it, all right? So if you can't preach, you cannot teach, God has probably not gifted you then to be an elder, all right? And that can come in a lot of different ways, but we need to to get that, all right? That there's preaching, there is teaching, all of those sorts of things. Now, listen to why God, listen, who gave you these? Jesus did, and he gave. Your pastors, your apostles, your prophets, your evangelists are gifts to you. From Jesus. Some of you right now are shaken because you've had a terrible experience with a pastor. All right? But they are God's gifts to you for a specific reason. Let's look at what it says. Verse 12. To do what? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. All right, when we look at this idea of equip, the word picture that we get inside of the, the, the Greek language here, it means to mend, repair, to make whole, or perfect. I'll get back to that in just a second. All right? It means to help one get into a position where they are trained and useful for something. Um, there's also this picture inside of the Greek language in different stories where it means the mending of broken nets. So you have a, a broken net here, a net here, you equip it, you fix it, you mend it, and then what can you do with it? You can broadcast it again, right? You can use it as a net again, but if the net has all kinds of holes that aren't mended, if they're not equipped, then it is unusable. So the Bible here tells us that pastors, these other people, I'm specifically gonna use shepherd pastor a lot today because that's that's my gifting to do. And so in that there's my responsibility in this gift that Jesus has given me as a gift to you. Sorry. This is all you get, right? As you, what you get here is this, this idea of, of also of setting of bones. That this is my responsibility. That if you have a bone that is disjointed, that you put it back in place in order that you can use it. What do I often do? What does Justin do? What does Pastor Todd do? We teach the word and how to apply the word. That is our calling. That is our equipping. Um, There have been seasons in my life where I've gotten really into physical training. I used to be a gym rat. I wanted to become a personal trainer on the side, all of these sorts of things. I was doing all sorts of things, and to get get into shape, I had what is known as a personal trainer. Anybody out there had a personal trainer before? I don't care if it's the 90PX guy on Jane Fonda, you know, whatever. You've got somebody on a screen or somebody at a gym that is personally training you. Now, when you go to a gym to be personally trained, um, the, the trainer doesn't walk around and lift all the weights for you. And then you get to leave and say you had a workout. What's he or she do? takes you to the gym he shows you she shows you how to use the equipment she st- he or she is standing over there you know they're they're counting at you and you're like shut up if you don't get to 10 quick right and then they're, they're saying hold it hold it or use this machine use this cable this way i saw a guy the other day doing bench press he slapped all kinds of weights on there and this is what he was doing if you ever been to a bench press you know you lay down you're bench pressing and he was just dropping it down like that right there now he had a lot of weights on the plates But let me tell you, this don't do nothing, all right? He squats like this too. That's a dance, all right, that every Caucasian person here knows, all right? Except when we really jazz it up, okay? That's not lifting weights. It's a waste of your time. The trainer, the personal trainer, isn't doing the heavy lifting for you. Who is doing the heavy lifting? You are. They're educating you. They're training you how to use the equipment. But it is your responsibility to do the work. To do the work. We often say inside of health and fitness, what? That we need two things. That if you, I love people like this, I know some personally. They, they will exercise and then eat garbage and then wonder why in the world there's not change happening. Why? Because you need two things. You need diet, what you intake, which is about 80 percent. See, you're getting all kinds of free stuff today. 80 percent of your diet and physical health comes in from what you eat. The other 20 percent is how you exercise, right? So there's intake and then the output is the actual running, all these sorts of things. This is the picture that we get inside, personal trainer, person who is trying to take care of their physical, spiritual, mental health, to grow in Christ's likeness. We are here to train, to teach, equip, show you how to do this, show you how to work on that, but brothers and sisters, it is not our responsibility to get you to do the work. We cannot. It is your responsibility for the heavy lifting. Have you also noticed that with inside of people who get really healthy, and I know that they can be annoying but they love to group up together. You want to cult really quick, start hanging out with people who like to run, or, or like to eat good, right? Or drink Zija, whatever it is. Man, these people love, physically healthy people enjoy being around each other. They do, it's scary. There are subgroups within subgroups within subgroups. They like to say, well, I'm eating this recipe and I'm eating this recipe and then I'm doing this exercise and I'm doing this and you're doing this and I'm doing this and you're doing this. And guess what? If you are not seeking to be physically healthy to those people, then guess what you are? Annoying. Just telling you the way that they really feel about you. And then they're gonna go, they're gonna talk to you, and then they're gonna go be with their group. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> all right, they're judging, all right, it's happening. Inside the church, those who are physically, tra- spiritually training, growing in maturity, seeking after the person and work of Jesus, his glory, his good, and his ministry, guess what they will naturally like to do? Be together. And you know what? There's not, there's everything about that isn't wrong how does iron sharpen iron? You can't take iron and rub a stick with it and it gets sharp. But the Bible says Iron sharpens iron, it's talking about two people who are growing in maturity in their relationship with Jesus, guess what's happening? Man, they're becoming more and more like Jesus. They love Jesus, they, they, they wanna talk about Jesus, they wanna talk about scripture. They're, they're weird in a good way, and they love to be around other weird people, and if you're not being weird, if you're not pursuing, if you're not growing, if you're not per- being eager to maintain unity of the body and pursue Jesus and read the Bible and pray and fast and all these sorts of things, then guess what? It is a natural, like, distance. Some of you used to have like really crazy friends because you were crazy too. And you love them. You share the gospel with them. But when you get together still to this day inside of a room and if they are not a believer or if they are a cultural Christian not pursuing Jesus, you can instantly feel, am I the only one? You can feel there's something in here. Like, just... I mean, I, Jonathan gets picked on him because he's sitting right here, but I mean, I'm telling you, there ain't nothing I wouldn't tell you about my life. I would tell that man anything about my life. If he wanted to know my bank account right now, I would tell him. I would. Why are we ashamed of that? I would. It's my brother. I love him. Okay? This is the pursuit, this is the growth. Why? For the work of the ministry. For the work of the ministry. Who are the ministers in the church? It's not me. It's you. I believe, get this, everybody look right here. You have believed a lie. Your parents have believed a lie. Your grandparents have believed a lie. And this perpetually getting worse and worse and worse and worse as we hire more and more professional pastors and people to work at the church to do the job that the people, the members, should be doing. The members should be doing these things. And yet inside of American Christianity, we've created this church culture where ministry is done by a few individuals while our majority watch from the stands. A healthy church is where everyone is involved. Pastors are not meant to do everything. We're not. And some of you, because I've even heard it, and I want you to know I've been, I've tried to be gentle, humble, patient as I've kept my mouth shut but I've walked away from conversations and hearing you say things where I've actually been offended. Because your expectation of a pastor is not one that we see inside of Scripture. It's your responsibility. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Are you? See, we see this in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, right? You know what I'm supposed to do, what Pastor Justin what Pastor Todd is supposed to do? We're to pray, read the Bible, preach, equip, shepherd, care. All right? Those are the things that we're supposed to do. But there's lots of things that need to be done. There's copies that need to be made every week. There's setup that needs to be done every week. Teardown needs to be done. I went to Walmart... You should pray for me before church this morning to get things for us as a family. Okay? That's not in that that care model right there. Okay? There, There are tons of things that need to be done that often people will place onto the pastors that the Scripture never does. We are not the bosses of Mission Church. We're the leaders, and we don't lead from a throne in the back telling you to charge. We lead from the front saying, hey, man, imitate us as we imitate Jesus. When we're not imitating Jesus, don't imitate us, but pursue for the work of the ministry. We see this inside the book of Acts. All of these things, the church is growing, growing, growing. There's all of these details that need to be done. Administration needs to be done. Poor people need to be fed. The orphans need to be taken care of. The widows need to be taken care of. And there's this expectation the pastors are going to do it all. And yet, God establishes and says, no, this is unhealthy. All of these things are taking away from what the pastors should be doing. And so they instituted something called deacons, right? Which means servants. It's the waiters of the tables. Ministry... Is, is, is not for pastoring, is not for me to do all of your ministries. It's not for me to come up with your ministry and say, Eric Beeson, this is, what, this is your ministry. This is what you should be doing. That is not my calling. You know what's supposed to be happening? He's supposed to be maturing, faithfully growing, pursuing. He's supposed to come to us as the elders and say, man, we need to start this ministry. And then we are going to say back to him, how do we help you do that? We have not because you do not. And yet we've created this model inside a church where you're the gallery, you come here to be entertained, you go there to be entertained, and again, please hear me, this is pastors' church's fault. We've created this culture, and it's unbiblical, and it is a hard It's a hard shift to make. Hard, hard shift to make. The family who leaves because we don't have a youth group but are unwilling to start and lead one. We had a family here at Mission who was with us for several years who wanted to reach internationals. Had several meetings with them about reaching internationals. We said back to them, okay, how are you going to do that? How can we equip you to do that? How can we, we'll give money. What kind of money do you need to do that? And then they left about a year after that conversation. Why? Because they said, we didn't want to reach internationals. It's not true. If you want internationals here, go reach them. We want to help you do that. All right? All right. And, and, and again, there are some of you, man, you, you've gotten this. I think about Trevor going and, and walking around downtown, okay? Now, the thing is, if Trevor expects that Pastor Eric is going to be there every Saturday, it's not going to happen. You know why? That's not my ministry. Now, am I, have I ever gone? Yes. Am I going to go again? Yes. But if, if that's what he's wanting to do, if that's what God has called that man to do, and he should be inviting us, hey, hey, come come let's walk downtown let's evangelize let's pray with these people then then that's what he needs to go do we want to fund that help that announce that get you to go and to join and to do that man if you have a heart for orphans go do that if you have a heart for foster care go do that man if you have a heart for rich business people go do that how can we help you do these things you have much better ministry ideas inside of you than I do The ministries don't exist. It's not because us pastors aren't doing our jobs. It is, it's because we're not being faithful as members to pursue what ministry God would have for us. And I'm telling you, I love you. Whatever it takes, people, manpower, hours, money, anything that we can help you do to go do those things. Then go do them. First Peter 4.10, as each of us has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4, to each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Each one of you, given a gift, given a ministry, go do it. All of this is a reflection of maturity. So what is the results of these gifts being used within the church? Let's keep reading. Verse 13. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves that carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. So when people are using their giftedness, when they're using and participating in their own ministries through the church, supported by the church, equipped by the church, all those sorts of things, then what is the result of that? Maturity. There's going to be growth. If you remember the triangle diagram that we showed you a few weeks ago, people are going to be pursuing Jesus and his likeness. They're going to be maturing. They're going to be growing all of these sorts of things. Inside, when you look at that word right there, inside of the Scripture, inside of the original language where it says this, maturity, until we've reached mature manhood. It's really interesting because the word means complete, fully developed Full grown. My dad says something called when he sees somebody acting crazy, he goes, That's a full grown jackleg right there. I have no idea what a jackleg is, but that's what he says. All right? Full grown. All right? Sometimes my mom will be picking on me about something. My dad would be like, Do us leave him alone. He's full grown. All right? Full grown, complete, fully developed, full grown, unto a perfect man. What is that a synonym of? Equip mature completeness mending all these sorts of things then Paul's going to reiterate again this mature factor you remember in Matthew chapter 5 verse 48 in the greatest sermon ever preached ever spoke Jesus on the sermon on the mount says in Matthew chapter 5 verse 48 you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is what perfect the, in the original language the word perfect that Jesus says there is the exact same Greek word that the translator of Ephesians put as mature. It should read or can read to perfect manhood. So when Jesus talks about and when Paul is talking about here, we're not talking about the idea from a practical, remember, in between the two bookends, a, a actual perfection, but we are talking about a growth into maturity, being mature, growing. Up, So Jesus is sometimes saying, you therefore must be mature. As your heavenly Father is mature. So what does Christian maturity look like? Well, Paul tells us here in this passage. The first thing is, he says, mature Christians reflect Christ's likeness. There's unity of faith. We become mature. We have the fullness of Christ. What do we No, what do we think about Jesus is is the most defining thing about your life. That you have the attitudes of Christ. That you don't get angry about things that you shouldn't get angry about. That things aren't big deals. They're not big deals. But there are things that we should be getting angry about, as Jesus illustrates. That it's all about Jesus. If you want to be mature, you have an inward and an outward expression of an attitude of Christ-likeness. It's maturity. It's maturity. It's it's growth for you guys who are, have been parents or are parents currently of teenagers. Isn't this one of the most strange things in the world? Is that you have a teenager who, in one moment, can make a very adult-like decision, and then five minutes later, be acting like a fool. Right? It's the most bipolar experience as you're trying to raise this gremlin you call your child. It's tough. I mean, you don't know, I mean, you hear him say something, you're like, man, that's tweetable right there. I'm going to brag about my kids. Snap, 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 snap. Flooding our Facebook wall. Snap, 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 snap. All right? Johnny, use the bathroom. We all did today. If you didn't, go the doctor. All right? I mean, it's strange. Snap, 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 snap. And then but you don't do is edit and post all the times you want to kill them. So you present this picture of this perfect child when they're really the devil. You just gave them some chocolate and they like you for the moment. All right? I mean, you don't have any idea what? What do we call that? Immaturity. But what do we hope? That they don't stay that way. So we're hard on you. Where's mine at? We are hard on you. Hey, I'm up here. We are hard on you. We discipline you out of love because one day the 40 year old Ava acting like a child is ridiculous. So the goal is out here. We're patient, humble, gentle with where they are, calling them always to something out here. Same thing in the church constantly calling, reminding people of the gospel, preaching the gospel, preach the gospel, preach the gospel, preach the gospel, be like Christ. Everyone in here, if you're a follower of Jesus, you should be striving for, running for, the hot pursuit of holiness, full allegiance to Jesus, fanatic about knowing Jesus and illustrating Jesus's attitude, character, participating in the work of the ministry. We just saying about the reckless love of God. We should be reckless in our pursuit of holiness. We are relentless toward Jesus. He is the standard of our maturity, so we run for, fight for, strive for, pursue, dedicate, men equip our lives to the person and the work of Jesus, Christians, the church, we should aspire at all costs to be like Jesus. This is what it's like to be around people that are mature in Christ. The second thing that we see is mature Christians, Christians seek deep biblical doctrine. Yes, you heard me. Paul uses the word children here in contrast to what we have previously stated about mature manhood. So he talks about being mature, good writing. he shows the contrast. The antithesis of that is childlikeness. It's immaturity. The depth of our maturity is determined by excuse me, the, the depth of our maturity is determined by the depth of the preaching we are listening to to the depth of personal study we are dedicated to. I'm concerned when I hear you say things like I'm never going to read systematic theology or Christian history or get a study bible or have a daily quiet time or get hung up on a word. I want you to know when I hear those things coming from you, I shudder. Cuz it illustrates that you think that those things are for pastors. Brothers and sisters, it's for Christians. I am not a pastor first I am a son of God who pastors okay if I come see you in the hospital it is not because I'm a pastor it's because I'm a Christian it's because I'm a Christian if I wonder where you're at on a Sunday because you've been gone forever or you skip out you don't let anybody know and I check in on you it's not because I'm a pastor it's because I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. I want to exude Christ's likeness. My identity is not in the gift that Jesus has given me. It's not in the ministry that Jesus has given me. And man, I've gone, all the roller coasters of trying to find my identity and all that sort of stuff. But I want you to know my identity, your identity, if you are in Jesus, is in Jesus. It's son, it's daughter of Jesus. And because of that, he has given you the opportunity to, to, to do the work of the ministry. Paul gives this picture here that of a person, um, let's, let's exactly, let's read it for what it says. Um, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the ways and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. The picture is is that within the church there is trickery. Within the Christian religion, which is again, in many ways can be false, there's trickery, there's cunningness, that you will have people, it's the picture of you being on a boat, no sail, no engine, and it's a storm. You know what you are? Scared. That's one thing you are. The other thing is, is you have no control over that boat. So if the waves go this way, you go that way. If the waves go this way, then you go that way. And that's what it's saying about people who are not deeply mature and rooted in the word of God. Brothers and sisters, the time for biblical ignorance and the lack of pushing away from theology and doctrine and guess what, we should all be nerds in here if that nerdness means that we are pursuing after Jesus, that we long to know Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible. It is not for just the pastors. It is for us, the membership of the body of Jesus to pursue together. We want to know this Jesus because I'm here to tell you there are people who have walked hand in hand with today, who preached, taught evangelism, spoke in tongues, levitated into rooms, the whole bit. And guess where they are today? Not with Jesus. Not with Jesus. Why? This this wasn't their anchor. I can give you a list of preachers of megachurches who no longer practice scriptural biblical christianity because this wasn't their anchor culture started adjusting well what about marriage what about homosexuality what about adoption what all these sorts of things and guess what they did they caved they gave in that is not the word the word is this anchor mature christians seek biblical doctrine Now, do you have to teach yourself New Testament Greek like Todd Crosby did on his free time? No! (laughs) Praise God. I got a lot of degrees. Can't speak a lick of Greek. But I can look it up on a computer. And they got this cool thing now. It's got a little speaker next to the Greek thing. And you push it and it goes, blah, All right? Sounds like Klingon. And you don't know the difference of what I'm saying. Right? Unless you know Greek. But there's all these tools and resources. It doesn't mean go run a marathon today. Let's go walk a half a mile today. At your pace. Toward maturity, toward growth. Toward these things. We'll wrap it up. Response. Challenge. Listen to these three passages, and then I have something to share with us. Colossians 128. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. This is Paul speaking. It's part of the goal. You know, I I hear from people, how many people go to your church? Well, I don't count, but I'm the pastor of about 37 folk. They're members at our church. I'm their pastors. We have other people attend. I'm not their pastor. But I pastor 37. And we're glad to have those other people, but I'm the pastor of a small, small group. I am concerned about your maturity. I'm concerned about your growth. The more people we have isn't relying upon me, it's relied upon Jesus, and us getting to work in the ministry, but even if we have more people here and they are shallow, then I cannot express to you how dangerous that is. Being surface level or shallow is nothing to brag about. It is something to pray about. Being mature comes in knowledge of the love of God's word, therefore God himself, do not be like a boat it is a drift and a storm. And brothers and sisters, if you please go home and watch the news, even if you can make it five, ten minutes, you will see that our world is in chaos. It is a storm, and you will be drugged to and fro if you are not rooted in the Word of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3, brothers, I could not address you as spiritual people But as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ, I fed you with milk, not solid food. You were not ready for it. And even now, you are not ready. But you are still of the flesh. So Paul's trying to, I mean, they got church people. And I'm not talking about physical age. I'm talking about age in your relationship with Jesus. I'm at 20 a year mark right now in my relationship with Jesus. Where are you? And yet Paul is coming to them, and he's saying, hey, you should be here in maturity, but you are way back here. And I want you to know, please hear me, I know some new Christians that are way more mature than people who have supposedly been walking with Jesus for years years and years and years and years and years. And then there's the vice versa of that. Maturity is not based on your age, physical age, but it's... It's measured by your pursuit. And Paul's saying, man, I'm trying to address you as something, but you can't handle it because you're too immature first Corinthians 13:11 when i was a child i spoke like a child i thought like a child i reasoned like a child but when i became a man i gave up childish things hebrews chapter 5 verse 11 through 14 about this we have much to say and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing for by this time you ought to be teachers you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of god you need milk not solid food and that's not a compliment We all get weirded out when there's an older kid still breastfeeding, don't we? And yet Paul is saying, that's the picture in the church. is people who should be grown adults in Jesus are drinking breast milk. Keeps on. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Within the church, brothers and sisters, no matter if you got hair, don't have hair, if it's gray, if it's blonde, if it's from a box, whatever color it is, whatever age is placed upon your life, that is not a direct reflection of your maturity in Jesus. And I believe, please hear me, it has become a a, a respectable, acceptable sin in the church to stay a kid. Peter Pan is great for kids. It should be a weird from adult perspective. Do you guys know what prolonged adolescence is? Prolonged adolescence is what is happening in our culture to where adolescence is not found. Teens are not found in the Bible. We've created a season of life called teenager early adulthood that is not seen in scripture. And it is prolonging teenage life. So the average person now gets married at the age of 27. Prolonged, adolescence. The average video game player is like a single man 34 years of age. We often, in some circles I run with, they call these guys bands. You know what a band is? It's part boy, part man. It's a boy who can shave. Girls never marry one. He can grow a beard, he can have a full-time job, he can even get education, but he acts like a boy. Run from him. And yet, they are predominant in the church. Prolonged adolescence. There's a child to be a kid. There is. Eat mud pies, run in the dirt, play spotlight. Most kids have no idea what I just said because those things happen outside. There's a time to do that. But this week, in our own news, a a family had to go to court after sending five letters to their 30-year-old son who refused to get a job, and they had to go to court to have a judge tell them to get out of their mama's house. And I'm telling you, I'm watching this, and I'm like, oh, that joker. Look at that. He doesn't have a job 30 years of living in a basement at the house of his parents. Refuses to live for, leave for eight years. And we look at that, and we go, man, that's so weird. That is so strange. And brothers and sisters, I love you. But it's in the church, too. Pastor, commentator Tony Moretta says this every member should grow up and use a towel, not wear a bib. Close. What is your ministry? How are you using your spiritual gift? How is your attitude in regards to serving the church? How much of your time, talent, and treasure reflect how valuable you see Jesus is? Brothers and sisters, here at Mission Church, I don't know about you, but I want to go really deep. I want to go really deep and I'm not I'm not I'm not opposed to going wide as long as we don't go wide at, at the the price of going deep so if we go deep and what if you grew up in church mm, mm-hmm mm, all right we, we want to go deep plow Plow deep. I'm not opposed to wide. I'm not opposed to growth out this way, more and more people. I'm not, I'm not opposed to all of that, as long as it doesn't come at the price of, of going in depth. And when I'm talking about depth, I'm talking about maturity. I'm talking about holiness. I'm talking about maintenance. I'm talking about equipping. I'm talking about heavy lifting. I'm talking about good attitudes, Christ-likeness, all of those things. But for in order for us to go deep, we must first grow up. Let's pray.